This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Hello, I'm Hanif Baharuddin. You're tuned into the show that brings you closer to the people and places of our capital city. So when I was growing up, I flirted with the idea of getting into trading card games. I'm not trying to show my age here, but that idea was sparked by the popularity of Pokemon then across various platforms, including TCG trading card games. My parents bought a deck for me, but sadly I didn't have enough khakis and friends to play it with, and hence that idea was shelved and eventually buried. But that era was also an era when trading card games were pretty popular and relatively mainstream, especially among the urban circles with Pokemon and franchises like Magic the Gathering dominating the scene. Fast forward to a few decades later and it's interesting to see that the scene is still going strong and pretty relevant despite the multitude of other competing hobbies, niches and distractions these days. Invitus Forge is a place that sells these trading card games, including Pokemon and Magic the Gathering. Yes, they are still popular now, alongside newer, hotter franchises like Flesh and Blood and other anime-inspired card games. They also provide a space for enthusiasts to gather and play and trade with others. On top of that, Invitus Forge also has an arm called Invitus Grading or Premier Card Grading Malaysia that, as the names suggest, creates these trading cards. I paid a visit to the space located in Tropicana Gardens Mall to speak to its director, Elvin Kaur, to learn more about the hobby and what they do. My name is Elvin. I'm director of Invictus Forge and Invictus Grading. And Invictus Grading is also the company that does premier card grading for Southeast Asia. Alright, so yeah, there are like two branches to the business there. So we're going to start with, with Invictus Forge first. Um, yep. What is it exactly? Invictus Forge, we mostly focus on card games and board games. Okay, card games generally like Magic the Gathering, Flesh and Blood, Pokemon, Force of Will, One Piece, some anime card games here and there, but we also have board games as well. So let's say for families who are not into card games, they can bring their families or friends and play board games together over here. Yeah, so the shop sells these products, but at the same time, you also have a space for people to actually play these games here as well, right? Yes, correct. We do that. And there's also space for, let's say, if for families or, or you know, they don't want to buy the board games or they just want to try the board games before they buy the board games, they can rent it from us as well. Like over here. Yeah. All right. Can they just come and play these board games whenever they want without actually buying them? Uh, they can. They just need to pay the rent. <laughs> it's an hourly rate, you know. So basically, think of it as like a board game cafe. Ah. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, I guess, the card games that you, you mentioned just now, mm-hmm. we're talking specifically trading card games, right? Which is a different kind of card games compared to your Uno or your Snap, you know? Oh, yeah. They're very different because these card games generally have an economy of its own, if you will. Mm. You know, there's secondary market where people buy and sell cards. And it's in the name. It's the okay, TCG literally stands for trading card game. So we trade, we can buy, we sell. And there is a difference between TCG and CCG. As in CCG is for collectible card games. Those generally you can't sell. For example, like digital card games, you know? So once you open the pack online, whatsoever it is, it's stuck and bound to your account. So that's very different. Yeah. Does CCG come like a bit later after TCG? Uh, no, it's a bit different. It's more of like, uh, I would say, how do I put it differently? It's like breakfast and lunch. You know, you still get to eat. Just that one is for different purpose and you know whatnot. <laughs> All right, okay. Correct, correct me if I'm wrong, but one example of a collectible card game is half half stone can can be considered. Uh, correct, uh, you'll be correct because half stone we can't trade. 
mm. correct? And at best also within Hearthstone, you turn the cards into dust, then you change the dust into more cards and whatnot. So you can't exactly sell the cards in the digital game. Mm. But in terms of the manner in which it's played, it's basically almost similar to most other trading card games out there, right? For this, it will be a bit different because for trading card games, in general, people buy, they collect, and then usually it does depend on the company. Um, the prices of the cards may go up or down depending on the company as well. Because sometimes some companies, they do understand that there are quote-unquote investors that they like to buy, they keep, and then they feel good whenever their cards appreciate in value. So what they do is that they will intentionally not reprint some cards to make sure that the value of it goes up. Or they might, even if they were to reprint, it might be a not-so-nice version of the original card. So that if I say you're a pioneer of the game, you, you bought in first edition Alpha, for example, or even Beta, you know, so you might get the best version of that card. So yeah. Yeah. So the trading, how how big is the trading aspect of these card games? Because I mean, because I've seen how people play and the kind of you know, um, quote unquote. I mean, not to use this word in a very negative way, but the geekiness that that, mm-hmm. that people sort of like, um, I guess enjoy from from the hobby. But at the same time. It sounds like the economic aspect of it is also pretty big as well, right? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. Um, this industry is worth billions. Because recently, in the month of uh, June and July, there was a release for Magic the Gathering for Lord of the Rings. Mm. I think you're quite aware of that, right? Mm. So there was the hunt for the one ring, right? The one ring in only one of one in the whole world. Uh, Wizards of the Coast announced it. And a bounty hunt came out for that card. And the uh, bounty hunt was like two, two sorry, it was two million euros for to buy the card from an anonymous buyer. So someone managed to get the card, <laughs> and his apparently rumors and hearsay is that the card is not sold yet because they are trying to negotiate and whatnot or bring the card to the buyer directly, and then they're trying to talk to discuss and negotiate after that. So it is quite big. Yeah, and and, and like you mentioned earlier, I think. Um, Publishers or I mean developers, creators of these cards also mm-hmm. sort of like kind of know the game right now. So there is also that that element as well, right? Oh, they know, they know. They the thing is, they are quite they're quite aware of the industry where people would like to collect, and then they also like I mentioned earlier, they like to feel good that their collection has increased in terms of value in general, and most of these cards do appreciate, and I think you probably heard somewhere about the Black Lotus, right, from Magic the Gathering. That's also one of the few coveted cards that are very expensive in the world. Mm. How expensive are we talking about here? Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but if you do a quick uh, fact check, right, I think if I'm not wrong, it's around 300,000 USD. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, and can you imagine if that card, right, is in like pristine condition nowadays, it'll be worth way more. Uh, so these cards do go for serious money. Serious money, serious money. And whenever I attend some events, right, <laughs> the amount of cards in that particular event from that few hundred participants could be worth tens of millions easily. Wow. Easily. Okay. Yeah. In terms of the people who are in the hobby, like if you were to split it into like a you know percentage or ratio uh, mm-hmm. between the two. What's the ratio like in terms of people who are in it for the for the game, for the for the experience of playing these card games, and people who are just doing it for investment purposes? It's hard to say. 
The, the reason why I say that it's hard to say is because generally, if you're a player, you play the game and whatnot, you collect casually. Over a period of time, um, there's a potential for your cards to increase in price, right? So you might accidentally <laughs> become a, a collector or an investor, right? So sometimes we don't know when the cards will increase in its value. So there are some people who are just in it to invest, which we do see some, and they don't play at all. But then again, sometimes they don't come out, they don't make themselves known, and we don't actually know how many there are. Hmm. Yeah. So surprisingly, there are some people who buy, and then we don't see them again. <laughs> but generally, players who play these card games, they are also aware of the investment aspect of it, and inevitably, they will sort of like know the value of their cards, right? Oh yes, of course. Most of the players have a mental note of their cards' prices easily. So if you point out a card to them, like, oh, how much is this card? They'll tell you, oh, this is worth like 40 USD, 30 USD, you know. Or they'll just point out to another card, how much is this? They'll tell you, oh, this is roughly 8,000 USD, give or take, uh, you know. So it's not too hard for them to know. <laughs> uh, does, does that take the quote-unquote enjoyment out of it? And what was the fan base like when it comes to talking about these things? Because I'm sure... I'm, well, I'm not sure, but maybe you can tell me. But, but there must be some concrete purists that are a bit more, oh, I'm in it for the game. Whereas, you know, and then there are people who are like, oh, but, you know, this is what it is, right? It's a trading card game, right? So technically, the economic aspect of it is part of it as well. Yeah, it's definitely, okay, the economic aspect is definitely part of it. There's no way around it. Mm. In any game that uh, exists in the world, there's always an economic aspect because of the supply and demand, Right. The reason why some cards are very sought after or they're very expensive is because they're very rare or like, you know, their first editions or their alphas or they're like only printed for special use promos like uh, championship events and whatnot. So they tend to be quite rare. And it doesn't take the enjoyment out because if let's say you're a player, for example, you win a major event and then you receive a very expensive gold foil card, whatsoever it is. And it actually is a sense of achievement and it's like your trophy that you have that you can use to play every day as well. So for some people, it's like their pride and joy. That's, that's why usually they will send these cards to grade and when it's graded, it's encapsulated and all that, they suspend the quality of the card so that you know accidents, whenever it happens, it's already in the acrylic slab, it's safe, it doesn't get damaged so easily. And... In the future, if they were to sell it, it's much easier. They don't have to worry about authenticity issues. They don't have to worry about oh, um, whether there's any doubts when it comes to the quality of the card or so ever. So yeah. Mm, but, but that means not being able to actually play with the card. Uh, not necessary. Uh. People do play with the cards that they, I would say, grade with. Mm. Even for me personally, um, I do play with the cards that I have graded. I intentionally grade the cards that I want to play. Oh, okay. Yeah, because I've had some, I will witness some and also had some accidents where, you know, uh, spills happen, then you got to make sure that your card is all right. And if it's already encapsulated and created, generally it's pretty much quite safe. And drops happen as well. So sometimes, um, you know, maybe people that don't know any better might use their fingers to point at the card and they might accidentally hit the card with their fingernail. So I would actually prefer to play with graded cards uh, as long as it's feasible. 
Going back to my experience trying to play trading card games back when I was younger, apart from not being able to find fellow players to play with, another barrier to entry back then was the relatively steep learning curve. To be fair, I was pretty young then, so I had a bit of a problem understanding the slightly more complicated rules of these card games compared to something simpler like Uno or Snap. But was this really true of the hobby? How accessible is it actually? I would say that it's comparable to as if you're learning to ride a bike, right? Once you know, it's easy. It's as if it's second nature. So back then, I still recall that when I was also learning how to play Pokemon with my friends, <laughs> you're making a lot of mistakes and whatnot, but it's part and parcel of it, right? So the more we play, the better we get. And sometimes we might meet some people who know the rules better, that can explain it to us as well. And sometimes, I mean, back then, obviously, we don't have YouTube and whatnot to teach us. So we rely a lot on, I would say, word of mouth or friends to teach us and maybe the misinterpretation of the words and whatnot also, correct? So nowadays, it's very accessible on YouTube, on TikTok, on Twitch, even, you know, you can go and watch how you play games. And sometimes like for championships, they will stream it live so that the world can see the championships and whatnot. So... There are lots of channels out there that also do like, okay, learn to plays or they'll give you tutorials that explain about, oh, why is this card good? How do you use this card and whatnot? So it's one of those things that, yes, I do admit that you need to spend a lot of time to read the card and whatnot also. So you, you, you will come to a point where it becomes easier. Yeah, so it helps with your comprehension. That's one thing. <laughs> and also the rules as intended sometimes. Because sometimes we might misconstrue certain words on what the card is trying to tell us. So we will actually have to ask the judges, which there are. There are judges for each game in general. So we just ask them, like, okay, uh, what is the ruling on this? If I play this and it does this, how is the outcome? So we can actually find out. And it's way easier nowadays. Mm, of course, I never got the chance to actually played it when I was younger. So, so I, I'm quite curious to know how, how welcoming or how, how's the community like in terms of whether they're able to welcome you and also guide you along the way oh they will love new players generally our community is quite welcoming if they see like you're a new player they will start giving you cards like okay here brand let me give you something this is useful for your deck here you go bro then they'll like tell you like oh it's don't worry it's free even though they just give you a 10 ringgit card right they just say it's free it's okay don't worry <laughs> they're generally very nice mm. and they're very welcoming because with, to us also it's like whenever a new player comes in it's like we have a new friend you know, it's a new network and we can also make uh, just just new friends in general. <laughs> uh, I see. All right. Yeah. Um, but I mean, thinking about it as well, I can't help but also think about some of the ways, I guess, new trading card gamers uh, have been perceived, um, not just in the media, uh, mm-hmm. but also, I guess, um, by people in general, I suppose, I guess that they were influenced by the media to mm-hmm. an extent that, that perhaps it's kind of like a bit quote-unquote nerdy as well, right? Yeah. Ah. So, 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 yeah, because you, know, I mean, you have people who play casual card games and then you have mm-hmm. people who play trading card games and, and the ah. section is that, oh, they can be quite quote-unquote nerdy. I mean, again, not to use that term in a very pejorative kind of way, but you know, and, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I will agree that uh, most of us are quite nerdy. <laughs> but let's be real. I mean, to understand these things, you need a certain level of intelligence correct because if you're not all there or I'm not saying that they can't learn but it's actually it takes quite a lot of effort and it takes quite a lot of uh, understanding to learn all this and if you actually spend time with the community they're actually quite very well adjusted people and the other part is trading card games they're not 
exactly the cheapest things in the world. They're not the cheapest hobbies, you know? So there is a certain barrier to entry where if you're not earning X amount a month, it's quite hard for you to be part of this hobby, right? I mean, granted that yes, there are cheaper ways to enter. It's just that if you're really more serious, you're more of the, the full-on collector, definitely you're somewhere up there, correct? Mm. So there'll be, even some of our clientele is like, they're lawyers, they're doctors, you know, they're engineers, they're high-end professionals. Mm. And most of them are business owners as well. So we may be perceived as nerdy, but, uh, you know? <laughs> That's the voice of Alvin Kaur, director of Invictus Forge and Invictus Grading. We've been talking about the trading card game hobby. Stay tuned for more after this short break. I'm Hanif Baharudin and you're listening to I Love KL on BFM 89.9. BFM 89.9, you're listening to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places of our capital city. I'm Hanif Baharudin. Joining me on the show today is Alvin Kaur. He's the director of Invictus Forge and Invictus Grading. Invictus Forge is a trading card and board games cafe located in Tropicana Gardens Mall, while Invictus Grading is an arm that focuses specifically on grading these trading cards to determine their value based on their condition, rarity, and many other factors. We touched on the trading card hobby, including its economic and investment aspects and significance in the earlier part of the show. And picking up where we left off, I asked Alvin whether piracy exists in this hobby. Oh, piracy is rampant. <laughs> because um, realistically, cards, right, they have uh, an intrinsic value, right? Because I would tell people that, yes, your card is worth a few thousand ringgit, sure. But it's not realized until you sell it, correct? And definitely, it's quite true in general. But of course, whenever you sell it, if let's say, for example, a card is worth like 20 or 30,000 ringgit, and you just tell... Uh, tell the buyer, okay, I'm just offering this for 18. Immediately they'll snap it up and they'll just resell it later, perhaps down the line. So there's another, there's a good value to it. So what piracy has done is that they are trying to look into cards that are not worth that high. They're looking at cards that are worth like maybe like 50 to 300 ringgit, you know, because they know that these cards are more commonly traded. So it's easy for them to pirate it. But it's also easy for a veteran or a good card gamer, right, to spot the fix. And it's not hard. So, yeah. Yeah, going back to, I guess, my attempt at trying to be part of this game when I was younger, um, mm-hmm. what I find quite interesting is that um, it was during that time when, like you said, you know, there's no internet, there's no social media. Correct, so, yeah. you, you tend to gravitate towards hobbies of this nature, right? Mm-hmm. But, but what I find quite interesting, you know, looking at Invitus Forge, looking at the kind of people that I've met that are still into the hobby. Um, the community still seems to be kind of vibrant despite the fact that we have a lot more distractions these days. <laughs> so, so in terms of, okay, I'm sure you're, 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 you've been in the, in the scene for mm-hmm. long, much longer than me. Um, how, how, how vibrant is it still now compared to before? Especially when you take the factor that, you know, we have a lot more distractions these days. Okay. It is true that we have a lot of distractions, but these, uh, I would say, are very specialized and very niche hobbies. Mm. Because I'm sure that you have, um, okay, our technically, some of our competitors are, for example, like the movies, mm. you know, if the movies, you know, someone pays a ticket for like 30, 40 ringgit, they bring their other half to go and watch a movie, they already spend two hours there, right? So they take away the customer away from us, correct? Mm. So they go for like outdoor sports. Technically, that's also our competition. 
But realistically, this is something where if someone is more into it, they really want to play and then the full aspects of collecting, investing and playing and being competitive in general or they just want to have fun. Even, I do notice that even sometimes the community, right, they will gather around by like 3 or 4pm in the afternoon just to hang out with their friends and play some games. That would be, I would say, the biggest selling point to them. Mm. So the social aspect is actually more important mm. because right now, yes, I, I completely agree that even sitting at home, you can just play you know, on your computer games or you can play on your tablet whatsoever. But it's very different. So it's really, really comparing the digital versus the analog aspect of your hobbies and whatnot. Yeah. Because being in person when you play card games is very different. Mm. Yeah, Meeting new people, meeting new friends and whatnot. Yeah, I assume the same philosophy applies to um, the digital version of, like for example, Pokemon trading card game versus the physical version, right? It's, I would say the experience is very different. Very different. It's like, imagine you're playing golf, you know? You play the on your Nintendo Switch versus playing golf in real life. You're actually meeting real people, correct? Mm. Yeah, so that's the very huge difference that I can give you in terms of a good example. All right, okay. Yeah. Let's, talk about the, uh, let's talk about the other side of Invitus Forge's business, um, the premier card grading. Um, mm-hmm. So, give me like an a brief explanation of what is it exactly, you know? For Premier Card Grading, it started off in New Zealand. So we are the Southeast Asian branch for Premier Card Grading. So in general, we receive cards from well, Thailand, Singapore, Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, and so on. So mostly what we do is we actually grade the cards, we authenticate the cards, and we also encapsulate the cards. Meaning, for example, if let's say a collector wants to sell some of the collection, but the buyer has some doubts in regards to whether the card is authentic or not, or the condition if it's, you know, a certain level of condition that we can accept. Because can you imagine if, let's say, I'm trying to sell you the card at 100% of the price, but the card's condition is, is you know, not even half the condition. Basically, it's like I folded in half or there's a, a, a water damage and whatnot, so you wouldn't pay 100% for it. Mm. Yeah. It's like buying a second-hand phone for like 100% the price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so for us, we will grade the card for you so that you know the condition of it. Then we will also do you know, the authentic- authentication and then generally that's what we'll pay us to do. Mm-hmm. So we have a certain guideline that we do follow and it's quite strict but fair. Yeah, we are strict on certain aspects, but we are also fair in regards to making sure that the card, if it looks like a certain grade, and then we'll see how how we can grade the card in terms of fairness. Mm. We don't we really nearly throw out grades and whatnot. We don't just because it looks a bit awkward, then we down the grade and whatnot. But we will make sure that it's within the guidelines that we have. Mm. And the guidelines, I assume, are standardized uh, globally, right? Correct, it's standardized globally. Oh, okay, it's just that um, there are, apart from premium card grading, there are other com- competing services out there as well. Oh, uh, competing services tend to have different guidelines. Oh, okay. And you probably, internally, you probably know about some of it. Mm. It's just that we are not 100% sure. But depending on what they do, we can kind of guess. Mm. Because internally also, we have our guidelines and whatnot. So we have, you know, like for example, certain points are damaged and certain points are not acceptable. So we s- we'll give it a certain kind of grade. Mm. So yeah. All right. Okay. Um, walk me through the process of actually grading a card. You know, what goes into looking at the quality of the cards? Uh, because, because I mean, I'm, 
you you mentioned mm-hmm. making sure it's authentic, uh, making sure the quality is good. But yeah, how thorough is the process actually? Oh, the the process is quite painstaking <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Because when a card comes in, our our graders will actually need to do their research to research where the card is from. Um, generally, how old is the card? You know, making sure that the year is correct. Also, trying to find out if it's used in certain events and whatnot to make sure that it's not, uh, I would say, a pirated card. And they will also check whether the card is authentic. And generally, they will spend quite a lot of time doing that because some cards, if they are too old, they are not documented properly online. So it's quite hard for us to, for us to research. So we need to ask uh, some senior or very very veteran players on. You know, like okay, like this card, for example, is it used during the event? And we need to double check. So we will get a few correspondence to to make sure that the cards are authentic and whatnot. And after the authentication process, we will make sure that the R and D is all as accurate as possible, down to the year, down to the lettering, the the I would say, even the name of the card, making sure there's no typos, <laughs> and then the grading will begin. Right, so in in terms of grading, we will check the centering of the card. If it's skewed to the left or skewed to the top or bottom, you know, we will make sure that we are we can find out what is the ratio like, the percentage and whatnot. And then we will also check the surfacing of the card. We will see if there's any micro scratches, print lines, or you know, like uh, pen pen dots, or nail markings or whatsoever. And we also check the edges because these are the The aspects that we will need to look into, and also the corners, because sometimes during the manufacturing process, like when the machine cuts the cut, um, things might happen. All right, the the cutter might not be sharp enough, or it might be of an awkward angle, and it might cut the cut differently. So each cut would vary. So our guys need to make sure that when they look at the cut, they look at these four aspects when it comes to the centering. The surface, the edges, and also the corners. Hmm. But those those are manufacturing errors, right? Yes. Technically, unfortunately, the manufacturing errors um, we can't be helped because if let's say there are some um, car owners that they think they can try to fix the errors, I would advise please don't, <laughs> because um, I think somebody tried to submit a card where they caught the 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 cutting of the card wasn't very nice. So if you use a black marker to to mark the black parts, right, it can be seen, and it will be considered as if the cut is altered. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it's not. It is still authentic, but it's been altered already. Okay. Yeah. Usually, when it comes to things like this, uh, generally, I assume when the cuts are submitted to you, generally the ratings are high. But do you have people submitting cuts that are of quote unquote lower quality? I suppose. Okay, there are a few aspects to it. Uh-huh. In general, most people want to reach the highest grade they can. They they will be very happy if they can get a ten or a gold label ten. You know that means perfect ten all around. Or some of them will be happy with just a nine or nine five. And there are some who submit the cards because that is very sentimental to them. You know, it's like their first rare, or their mom bought it for them. And I I won't go into too much details, but there was a story that I've read online where. His mom bought him the first packet of Pokemon, so that was the rare that he wanted to grade. So even though the condition was bad, he didn't care. He wanted it to be graded. And there are some people who do it for laughs. 
they intentionally damage the car. They intentionally throw the car around to try and get a one just for a joke, you know. But it's up to them. <laughs> yeah, because I, I would like to assume that I mean, because first you have to pay to to get your cards graded. Correct. So if let's say the quality <laughs> of the card isn't isn't as great, technically mm-hmm. there's no value per se, right? Uh, it does depend because. If let's say, for example, the Black Lotus that I told you about, mm-hmm. about 300,000 USD, right, for that card. So if, let's say, the card condition is like maybe a f- 6 or a 7, it is still a good card. It's still going to be very expensive because it's still a very rare card, mm-hmm. right? But of course, if it's a 9 or a 9.5, the price would be way higher because people will be thinking like, there's no way in the world they can ever find a condition of like a, this 30 year old card you know in this condition ever anymore so they will definitely pay a higher price they'll command a higher price but again um, if the quality is lower sometimes it doesn't mean that you shouldn't grade it uh, it could be a sentimental thing and sometimes people just don't care I just want the card I love that card I want it graded mm. um, we spoke about manufacturing errors and you mentioned typos as well do these errors sometimes make the card more unique quote unquote, and, or more rare Okay, um, typos-wise, we hardly see them, to be honest. But there are sometimes miscuts or misprints. And it will be quite rare. There are some collectors that we call them the oddity collector. They collect oddities. Mm. So they love that. And the prices are actually quite high on those. Mm. If, let's say, there's a combination of the card being very rare and also the card being miscut or misprint, like say, for example, there's a missing, uh, missing ink you know, a missing blue ink or red ink and then the card comes out funny, right? So, those can cost quite high as well. <laughs> and if you send it to grade, um, it will puzzle us, of course. <laughs> and then, we will still do it for you. Mm, but the but the way you grade will still be based on the guidelines that you have rather than Correct. the fact that it's, it's Correct. It's it will still odd. be based on the guidelines. Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, do customers ever dispute your decision sometimes? Uh, some do. Some do. But whenever they do, we'll try to justify to them. Because generally, when we grade the cards, we actually write down notes on the card, on each and every card that we grade. For example, if there's like a printing line down the middle, we actually draw on our notes that, uh, you know, there's a line over there. And then we'll mark around like, we'll mark the corners and we'll mark the edges if there's like whitening or feathering of some sort, or if there's like a little fold, We'll take note of it and we'll just mark it on the on our form. And if I say there's any dispute, we'll take out the form, we'll explain to them why are some of these why is your card like you know not as good as you think, or there's like blemishes that could cause the card's grade to be a bit lower. Hmm. What happens next after a card has been graded? Like in terms of uh, I mean you mentioned you've played with your graded cards yeah. as well, but for <laughs> what what's the what is what's the scene like out there? You know? Yeah, what's the norm like over there? Uh, you mean after graded or before encapsulation? <laughs> Ooh, is there a difference between the two? Uh, okay, the thing is, we only release cards when they are encapsulated. Mm-hmm. So after they are graded, we actually need to engrave the labels because we use metal labels. So we need to engrave the labels for our clients. And once it's done, it will be encapsulated into an into a acrylic slab. And the slab is meant to protect the card from harmful UV rays because discoloration happens. But of course, we do advise our customers that even though it's protected, please don't even, don't try and, you know, push your luck. Don't, don't put the card under the sun, you know. You know what I mean? These are collectibles, right? Mm. So take care of it anyways. 
So we will advise to keep them nicely and once it's encapsulated, sleeved and whatnot, we will pass it to our customers and they generally can display it after. So you can use it to play. Um, normally people prefer to encapsulate cards that are not in the deck. I think if you know what I mean, like sometimes there are 60 card decks and 100 card decks and whatnot. Mm. So they prefer the cards that are outside of the deck. So it's represented and if it's not being used, they can use it to display. Yeah. Mm, so, so, so generally people who have their cards uh, graded and also encapsulated won't play with their cards? Uh, it depends, it depends. Because some people do prefer to play with graded cards. Mm. The, the thing is, it depends a lot on the game. For example, like for Magic the Gathering, if let's say you play Commander or EDH, EDH stands for Elder Dragon Highlander, meaning you only play one hero or one commander and the rest of your cards, the 99 cards, they are not, they don't, they're part of the shuffled deck. So if it's part of the shuffled deck, usually people will not grade those cards. But if it's one card that is outside being displayed, that is like, for example, your hero, their equipment, you know, their weapons, and it's generally not shuffled into the deck, right? Yeah, we notice that people tend to grade those and use it to play. So you mentioned there is that metal label as well um, to as a show of proof that the card has been graded and encapsulated. Mm-hmm. Can you just grade a card without actually encapsulating it? Uh, and how will you how will you show that the proof that it has been graded? Okay, we usually okay generally people come to us for some like friendly advice. We would just give them a rough idea, but there's no guarantee until it goes through the full grading process. And if it's not encapsulated, you cannot guarantee the quality of your card after. Because if let's say I can tell you that, okay, currently your card looks like a 9.5 or 9.5, you know what I mean? So if they bring it out and then perhaps their cat jumps onto the table tomorrow and then steps on the card and <laughs> accidentally, you know, uh, damages the card, I can't guarantee what happens after that, right? So once it's encapsulated, the card is already protected, fully protected, suspended in its quality and authenticity is also all pretty much guaranteed. Mm. Have you ever had to regrade a card that has been encapsulated? Mm, It does depend because sometimes some customers may not agree with what has been graded in the past because guidelines do change sometimes but it's extremely, extremely rare. And sometimes some customers, um, if they're not too happy, they might want to resubmit it, which usually we'll advise them that, okay, um, certain aspects, the score is not going to improve. We can tell you that and we will justify it to them. We will tell them like, for example, your corners, you know, there's three dings here and whatnot. So it's dinged up at the corners. So we can't help you much even if you were to regret it. So we will just advise them and you know, help them save some time. So having been in the scene for a bit, as a player, a collector, as well as a grader, I'm sure Alvin has some interesting stories and experiences to share. He shares some with me. Okay, there are lots of stories. <laughs> first things first is that there are quite a lot of collectors that we don't usually see. And they don't make themselves known. We also try to keep their identities anonymous. Because sometimes when they grade their cards, they don't grade like one or two cards, they don't grade 10, they don't even grade 50, they grade 100. Sometimes they grade 200 cards. And it's because they want to enjoy their collection. It's like collecting art, right? So whenever we finish uh, their submissions to them, they feel very proud. And those cards, they're not cheap either. So can you imagine each card will go for around a few hundred ringgit and some of them will be like a few thousand. 
and the most expensive card would be like what 30, 40, maybe even 50,000 ringgit. So a collection of 100 cards can be, <laughs> I think you can imagine it will cost like what, 100, 200,000 ringgit. And that is just 100 cards. So some collectors may have more and they potentially have not even created them yet. Mm. So uh, I would say that recently we did receive some quite interesting cards as well. Everything is gold foil. Gold foil meaning the, the borders of the cards are all gold. So those are only like for championship winners. So there's a collector that bought a lot of these gold foils to be graded and they are not cheap. Each card averages about seven to 8,000 ringgit. Mm, wow. <laughs> How does this affect uh, players who are, I guess, who, who are active and who, you know, who players who constantly buy, um, what do you call this, um, booster packs and whatnot? Because mm-hmm. I, I heard stories of, you know, people when it comes to opening a booster pack, they open it in a very, like, very careful way just to make sure that you know, they don't, <laughs> in case they don't damage the card. So yeah, what, what it's like for, for, for active players out there you know, when it comes to buying and collecting their cards? What it's like for active players? Okay, the thing is, usually the companies that manufacture these, they are also quite smart. They put the money cards, quote-unquote money cards or the prized cards in the middle of the pack so that whenever you open the pack, it's quite hard to damage the card, especially the money cards, right? So some people are a little bit, a little bit more fancy. So what they'll do is they take a pair of scissors, they'll just cut the, the packs anyways. So they open up, uh, they don't tear the packs, they just cut it up. Then you know, open the packs slowly one by one and be very careful. And generally, for the players who are in it for the game, they don't really chase the expensive cards, most of them at least. And some do because perhaps they have a, a favorite hero, for example, or a favorite character. So they're like, okay, I'm just going to you know, make all my deck foils, you know, my entire hero collection for this particular hero, all foil. Ah, and so they, they really love it because it's shiny, it's beautiful. I can show you some later as well. <laughs> so they, they would, they, they feel very proud. And even though the hero might not perform very well in the events or tournaments, they don't care. They just want to play. They just want to have fun because to them, that is their very proud collection. Hmm. Mm. I alluded to earlier that um, um, this hobby has been around for quite some time mm-hmm. so uh, how long do people actually keep their investments quote unquote oh how long I would say that it does depend because for some um, if they do need the money urgently they will just sell the collection and whatnot. and for some if they they're not too bothered they just keep holding on to it and there are some who actually told me that, you know, they buy this collection and whatnot already. They'll just pass it on to their children <laughs> to sell in the future, which makes sense, I guess. So I think we can compare this, even let's say we compare it back to art. Mm-hmm. Imagine buying a Picasso, an original Picasso, you know, your great-great-grandfather bought one or something like that, right? And they pass it down to you. You'll be very rich by now. <laughs> I mean, okay, just, just to bring it back to my personal sure, collection sure. of Pokemon trading card, uh, should I go back and look for it and make, just double check whether you know, they might be valuable? Or? Uh, you can. You, if you want to, you can bring it to us because if let's say there is too many cards, we, we do understand that it gets overwhelming mm. and you're unsure on where to, to find out the price and whatnot, you can bring it to us. We can assist you, you know. We can advise you on, okay, like these cards, these are sought after. You know, these are very rare or this batch have a particular misprint that you don't know about you know so there, there are potentials that that are hidden in there and 
I do have one customer who recently walked in, like, okay, maybe not recently, a month ago, walked in and he was like, hey, you know, daddy used to collect cards. So he was talking to me about his kid. And then when I explained to him about, um, you're quite aware that those cards that you played during that time, they're quite expensive. Then he's like, oh, is it? So he brought his collection. It was insane. Oh, really? Yeah, oh. it's quite expensive stuff. <laughs> and he's, he wasn't aware of it initially? He wasn't aware. So he brought it in, then I told him like, um, it's quite expensive, man. So uh, do you want to get it graded just in case? And it's like, yeah, sure. So, so he graded like, like 50 cards within the week or so. <laughs> wow. And they ended up, I guess, being quite valuable? Uh, he's quite happy with it. He's quite happy with it. And he's already, you know, two feet back into the hobby already. He started <laughs> collecting again. <laughs> How's the condition of the card? Uh, surprisingly, some of them were not too bad because for 20-year-old cards, I think they were like averaging around eight to like nines, which is quite good to oh, be real. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> wow. All right. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, I mean, you've been doing this for, for quite some time mm-hmm. now. Um, What's what's the fun in it in terms of uh, and I'm asking that in, in the sense that uh, I mean yeah you have to be very precise you have to be very particular and meticulous but mm-hmm. but I'm sure it brings a different kind of satisfaction oh right yeah the satisfaction is real you know the the joy you get when you collect some some cards is amazing and I, I like to compare it to collecting art because when I personally when I collect some of the cards I look at the artist right I see who is this artist and whatnot and I try really hard to collect their art. For example, one of my favorite artists is uh, Soya May. She calls herself Soya May. Then we have Irene Francisco as well. We have uh, Livia Prima. We have Lasahido Lius. We have uh, Vishnu Tan, Kevin Siddhartha. We have so many artists in the world and they're all super talented. So personally, what I've been trying to do lately is to actually contact them to get some sketches done and whatnot. I'm trying to get their art collected and for some people they like the shiny aspect alright I also I also love the shiny aspect where I love my cards to be foiled I love my cards to be like first edition and whatnot. so there's still quite a lot of enjoyment in it and mm. mostly comes from how good the art is definitely okay. sure. I mean that's more of a personal thing apart from the art and also the artists that draw them um what are the for for especially for 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 you know listeners who are not as familiar with the scene? Um, mm. What are the factors will make your card be graded or valued higher in terms of like yeah is it is it down to the fact that do you have to get into the nitty gritty the law of the game to understand that oh this card is considered rare or is it more of down to the fact that yeah the limited numbers? Generally, the limited numbers are the factors that uh, would increase the price of the cards and. Thankfully, for some of the companies, they know what to do. So they will intentionally print um, the rarer ones, like in a special kind of foiling. Then they will also print it in the normal version, where as a player, if you don't want the fancy cards, you can just buy the normal one for way less. And for collectors like myself, or some of them who are a bit more particular, you can just buy the highest end like foiling or whatsoever it is for your own collection also. So it caters to a very large spectrum of collectors and players, which is nice. Mm. But it can also be a rabbit hole of sorts for people who, who oh, want to get into very it. very deep rabbit hole, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I mean, just to, just to wrap up the interview. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've been doing this for quite a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've spoken about how, I mean, there are a lot more distractions these days, but at the same time, 
uh, based on my observation, it looks like you know the scene is still pretty vibrant. You have a lot of players coming in to play. Um, do you foresee the scene growing much larger these days, especially when you take into factor that you know sometimes the so-called distractions that we've been talking about can also <laughs> help actually in repopularizing or popularizing this this game a bit more, right? Yeah, I I did notice that lately um, a lot of parents they prefer their kids to socialize with other kids instead of uh, giving them just a tablet or a phone and play with it, you know? Mm. So even we organize like uh, Pokemon Juniors on Sundays, you know, like between 2 to 6 p.m. where parents can bring their children to play Pokemon card games, they trade and whatnot. And we have a few staff to help facilitate the, 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 the trading and whatnot in case there are fakes, right? Or in case someone misprice something or try to sell it for too cheap. So we try to assist them and also to teach them how to play the game. So the important part is that we are doing our best to remind people that analog card games or analog games in general exist. The importance is actually more towards the social aspect because it is very easy and I'm, I can tell you that it's so convenient to just pass on a tablet or an iPad to, to a child and just expect them to be entertained for hours, which they can. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that when we want, uh, I won't say a, a different kind of society, but a more well-adjusted group of uh, you know people that can talk to other people, they know how to handle situations, being more sociable in general. So I believe that these things will make a comeback for sure. And it's not to say that it wasn't here to begin with. It's more like it'll be a preference in the future. Because even I myself, well, I don't have kids yet, but if I were to have any children, I would expect them or prefer them to be more sociable and, you know, have a nice network in the future as well because some of these people could be their lifelong friends we never know. And on that note, uh, for people out there who like to find out more about Invitus Forge and also uh, Premier Card Grading, where can they go to? Yeah, they can find us on Facebook. They can visit us in Tropicana Gardens Mall in Kota Damansara. We are open every day from 10 to 10. In general, if you're just curious, you just want to take a look at how uh, premium card gradings, I would say the, the slab looks like, and you want to see how some of the cards could you know, command a high value and why and whatnot, you can drop by. Potentially, I'm around. You can catch me. If you catch me around, I'll just explain to you if I can, you know. <laughs> Feel free to drop by. We're on Instagram as well, but... Uh, yeah, I think Facebook is where we're most active at right now. Mm. We've been focusing a lot more on trading card games, but there are also a lot of board games out there for people who want to try new board games, right? Oh, yeah. If, let's say, they're curious, they have, uh, you know, want to bring a more... If, let's say, they've got family gatherings and whatnot, right? They want to try some board games first, then come here and try. It's okay. Then we can also recommend them some board games, depending on the age group. And I would say, as long as the, the, the child can read, already can understand games they can start already you know, and games have no age limit anyways you can you know we have 60, 70 year olds that come in and play also sometimes <laughs> and they enjoy their whole day here You've been tuning in to I Love KL and that was Elvin Kaur, Director of Invictus Forge and Invictus Grading, Trading Card and Board Game Cafe in Tropicana Gardens Mall. They also grade trading cards. That's all we have for this episode of I Love KL. If you miss any part of the show, you can check out the podcast at bfm.my slash ilovekl or app which you can find via Google Play and the App Store. You can also find this podcast and many others on Spotify. Don't forget to also follow the station on Twitter at BFM Radio. My name is Anif Baharudin and you have been tuning in to I Love KL, bringing you closer to the people and places 
services of our capital city. Join us again next week only on BFM 89.9, The Business Station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.